Hello once again ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another really good revision history podcast with me Mr Hutchison and I'm sure you'd be happy to know that after a long one uh, last time round this one is much much shorter. John's dead, Richard is dead, the course is Richard and John so you know we're very nearly at the end now. Uh, all we need to clear up is how the country was left after John dies in 1216 okay so yeah without further ado here we go um when john took over his king don't forget the Angevin empire was almost as large and as secure and as rich as it had been during both henry the second and richard's reign rich in terms of um the money it was earning not rich in terms of in of how many how much money it had obviously richard pretty much bankrupt the country but in terms of geography in terms of organization administration it was secure, it was peaceful, and it was as prestigious and powerful as it had been during Henry II reign and Richard reigns. Now, by October 1216, after John's death, the country is in debt. English lands in France have all but disappeared. The kingdom had been given over to the Pope, the king serving as a vassal. Key barons were in open rebellion. London, by this point, was, was held by, by rebels. And a French prince was invading the country. So, you know, even if we can defend John in part, there is no doubt that England was far, far weaker than it had been at the start of John's reign. Okay. Now, John, however, did leave an heir. He did leave an heir. He did have a son who he confusingly named Henry, who was soon to be Henry III. Okay. But he was only nine years old. And he was John's only heir. So how was a nine-year-old going to sort out all of these problems? Well, he wasn't. There was no way he could do it. But lucky for Henry, he had a hero ready to take control, look after him, and help him. And that man is the man, William the Marshal, or William Marshal. Now, he's often regarded as the greatest knight that ever lived this guy he's totally famous in his own right william the marshal um has actually been ever present in our story all right it's just that obviously we focus on the king so we haven't really talked about him but william marshal first served henry the second he went on to serve richard and finally, oh, sorry, went on to serve John and then finally uh, was instrumental in fixing the country after John dies and, and serving Henry III. So that's four kings, folks. All right. Now, here's the thing about William Marshall. He first served Henry II and fought against Richard when Richard allied with Philip. Right at the start of our course, Richard allies with Philip and goes to war against his father, against Henry II, to ensure that he is Henry's heir. Okay. Now, in that war, William Marshall was on the side of Henry II and actually fought against Richard. And not only fought against him in battle, but met him in that battle, sword against sword, against Richard, who is, you know, Richard the Lionheart, the guy who went on to to have victories at Acre and Arsuf and Jaffa, okay, the greatest warrior in all of Christendom. William Marshall unhorses Richard in that battle. He literally knocks him on his backside in the dirt. 
Okay. And when Richard then becomes king after Henry II's death, he calls William Marshall uh, to his prayer. He calls him. He wants to see him. All right. Now, Richard could have punished him. Richard could have punished him for fighting against him, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Famously, William Marshall is forgiven by Richard and given lands and titles on the Welsh border. Okay. Richard heralds him as a great warrior. You know, you're the only man to ever beat me in battle one-on-one, you know, as a reward for your heroism. I'm going to give you more lands and titles than my father gave you. Okay. Stephen Langton, the Archbishop, called William Marshall the greatest knight that had ever lived. He serves Henry II faithfully, goes on to serve Richard faithfully, serves John uh, faithfully as well. And it's this guy that is often the inspiration for famous sort of fictional knights and wars. When we think of the ideal knight, in certainly in, uh, in uh, medieval Europe anyway, a lot of people point to William the Marshal, okay, as, as the pinnacle of what being a great knight was. Some people argue Saladin was the greatest knight of all time, but that, that, that's a different argument, okay? William Marshall. Hopefully you've got a good impression of the, of the type of character he has. Now, here's the thing, folks. When John died, I said in the last part, podcast he made one good decision. And this is what he did, folks. When he dies, he names Henry III as his heir, but leaves 13 barons in control of the country in his will. And the chief amongst those was William Marshall. William Marshall was to care for Henry and rule for him until Henry was old enough to rule alone, and then he was to hand the kingdom back over to Henry. Now, this was a good idea, folks, because William Marshall not only was a great warrior and a great knight, but he was an inspirational leader. The barons, many of the barons loved him and respected him, okay? And John also knew that at nine years old, Henry would be tutored and looked after, trained by William Marshall, and would probably become a good leader as a result of William Marshall's sort of tutoring, I suppose. So, all of a sudden, this is looking like quite a good idea of John's on his deathbed, right? So, William Marshall becomes Lord Protector. A Lord Protector is basically king in all but name, okay? On the proviso that he would then hand the kingdom back over to Henry III when he was old enough. Now, John knows that William Marshall is an honourable guy. So he's going to do this. He's not just going to keep all the power for himself. So this is what William Marshall does. All right. He becomes Lord Protector. And straight away, he realises we need to crown Henry. We need to declare Henry as our king. But they can't do that at Westminster Abbey in the south because it's in rebel hands. So they, they crown him anyway crown him straight away so instead uh, Henry is crowned at Gloucester Gloucester Cathedral by the Bishop of Worcester so this is totally unconventional not what normally happens but William Marshall is forced to do this because Louis controls the south and he knows that he needs to crown Henry and declare that he is the king and make that clear to the people and to the other barons because the rebel barons in the south could crown Louis their king instead. And some of the rebel barons actually preferred Louis 
to Henry. First of all, they hated John, right? That's why they were rebelling. And they were worried that Henry was going to be like his father. Okay. And also Louis was an adult. He was a warrior. And he had the kingdom of France behind him. So it looked to some like Louis was the better choice. Okay. But William Marshall was loyal to John. And so the first thing he does is crown Henry at Gloucester Cathedral. Then he makes Henry pay homage to the Pope. So Henry III becomes Pope's vassal. Okay. Now he did this for the same reasons that John did it. Okay. Not to hand over the kingdom to look weak, but because it places England under the Pope's protection. All right. And that totally undermines the rebels, folks. And Louis. Because now it's the Pope who's given Henry III his blessing. Okay? So, all of a sudden, that undermines the rebels. Because they haven't got the Pope's blessing. Louis hasn't got the Pope's blessing as King of England. Henry III does. This young boy. So if you're Catholic, yep, you all of a sudden start to realize if you're Catholic and part of the rebellion that this might not be legal, this might not be the right thing. Pope is God's representative on earth and he's giving his backing to Henry III. This is very clever of William Marshall, okay, and leads to some of the rebel barons changing sides, okay? Um, bear in mind, when William Marshall's doing all this, he's, an old, he's 69 years old when he's made Lord Protector. So he's had a heck of a career, and he's, he's, he's lived far longer than, than most um, people did in medieval times. And, and beyond that, um, you know, particularly for somebody that fights battles, yeah, all the time. So in order to sort of enforce this, uh, the, 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 um, the Pope's support for Henry III, he sends a papal legate, who's a, a person, a personal representation, uh, sorry, a personal representative of, of the Pope. And he comes to the country, okay, which again strengthens the king's side, gives a visual presence of, of, of the Pope, a representative of him. And again, deprives Louis of the church's support in England. So he's losing rebel barons, he's losing the church in England's support because they obviously are more likely to support the Pope and the Pope now, because of William Marshall, supports Henry III. Okay, and William Marshall goes on to sort out the problems. He does even more, folks. He revises Magna Carta. He brings it back, but a different version of it. Okay, but he's got the support of the church. Okay, and now that Magna Carta has been reissued, it takes away the rebels' reason to rebel. They're rebelling because the king won't agree to these terms, this great charter, this Magna Carta, all of these demands. But now... The young king is kind of forced to agree to him, right? He's nine years old. And let's be honest, William Marshall is a baron. He's a very powerful baron, but he's a baron. So it's in his own interest that the king sort of puts his seal on Magna Carta. And he does that in 1225 when he's slightly older. He, he agrees to another great charter. Okay. He's still got some problems. The kingdom is still bankrupt. And there are now attacks coming in from, from Wales and Scotland because... Um, they, they, you know, the, those kingdoms realize that, that England's weak, okay? But most importantly, Prince Louis, who's the most powerful 
person attacking England and the rebel barons who are allied of Prince Louis from France, they now have no cause. There is a legal king of England who has the Pope's support. So now, whereas before they were rebelling against a tyrant king, now it just looks like they're trying to steal the throne. So even more barons turn back onto William Marshall, the Henry III's side. Okay, they go back. Okay, and William Marshall then goes on to do what he does best. In 1217, he wins two major battles against the French and against the rebel barons. One at the Battle of Lincoln in 1217 and another one at the Battle of Sandwich in 1217. Okay, we're not going to go into those in detail, but all you need to know is that by the end of 1217, Louis was defeated, he'd left England, okay? And by the end of 1217, England was back in royalist hands, back in uh, William Marshall's hands, and it had been consolidated and stabilised and the majority of the problems that England was left in as a result of John's reign had been solved by William the Marshal. And Henry, John's son, goes on to become King of England, the next King of England, and Henry III. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our Richard and John course. My goodness, I know it's been a long one. I know I have thrown a lot of information at you there uh, for half of your paper two at Excel paper, but hopefully, guys, that has helped you. Hopefully, that's given you plenty of ammunition to answer those three questions. Um, keep plugging away with this course, guys. The only way to be a success is to just... Go over the content little and often, little and often. Listen to a podcast, read it, just to chip away at your knowledge. Get more and more secure with it. All right, so you are armed with the tools. Um, come your exam, whatever it throws at you. My only final piece of advice, guys, would be that the, uh, the knowledge isn't enough. That's only half the battle. You need to know how to answer the questions. Okay, so I will be doing a podcast on that soon, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but very quickly... You know, particularly with the with the 12 markers and the 16 markers, uh, two of the questions for Rich and John, it's not enough just to describe what happened. You've got to say why it's important. Okay, what happens as a result? What does it influence? What is the significance? What's the consequence? Those concepts lead you to explain. That's your AO2. And for your 12 marker, that's half your marks. For your 16 marker, that is more than half your marks. All right? So it's vitally important that you get your head around that, that when you're revising, you're not just revising what Magna Carta was, why was it important, what happened as a result of it, you know, leading to the First Baron's War, the fact that uh, King John didn't stick to it, you know, highlighted the fact that he was a tyrant, he had no, um, no um, intention of changing, which made it difficult, it made it even harder for the Barons to accept him, those types of phrases are going to get you um, as many points as knowing what Magna Carta was. So please make sure in your paragraphs you're doing both. And uh, if you do that, guys, you will be an absolutely huge success in your summer exams. All the best for that, folks. I'm going to leave you now. Um, 
say keep an eye out for more podcasts on uh, how to answer questions uh nazi germany medicine through time and american west as well that's what i'm going to focus on in the future so keep an eye out for those if not all the best guys in your exams and i'll uh, see you next time bye bye